Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of the Ministry Minded Podcast, a show that seeks to marvel at the mercy of God and meets us in our messy ministries. I'm, of course, your host, Pastor Brad Gray. I serve as the senior pastor of Stonington Baptist Church right here in central Pennsylvania in a little place called Paxinos. Uh, thank you so much for downloading this episode, this particular episode. I'm so thankful uh, that you have done so, and I hope that you will be blessed by what we have in store for you today on Ministry Minded. Um, one of the great things that I have loved throughout all of the history of Ministry Minded is all of the different pastors and thinkers and writers and uh, just, uh, I would say, friends that I've been able to get acquainted with and connect with and talk with and uh, and speak to them about the ministry and about, yes, the mercy that meets us right in the midst of all of that mess of ministry oftentimes. And uh, case in point, that's what we're going to talk about a little bit today with a very special guest. His name is Randy Greenwald. He's the pastor of a church in Florida. Uh, he also writes a newsletter, uh, a semi-regular newsletter called Great Hearts Table, which we'll explain and get into great detail on. Uh, but the long and short of it is, Great Hearts Table is one of my favorite newsletters that comes out semi-regularly, um, and I love reading Randy's writing. So it's been a great benefit to me as a pastor. He's a pastor who's writing to pastors, and so I think you'll find great benefit, too, um, from it, a great encouragement as he talks about many things that are related to ministry. And we get into that today uh, through this conversation, just talking about um, pastoral ministry and the idea of pastoral efficiency and why that's a negative idea and actually why um, and actually how pastors have sort of put too much on themselves and we talk about we talk about that we talk about um, some uh, topics related to pastoral burnout and why pastors need to uh, set aside time actually it, it reminds me of the verse that I, I I will quote in our conversation it's the verse out of Hebrews which if you're from Stonington, you will remember, I just preached on this just recently, um, it's the verse in Hebrews 4.11 that let us strive to enter that rest. And I think especially for ministers, for Bible teachers, for pastors, there is a necessary striving in order to rest. And what does that look like, and why is that the case, and why is that so important? So we, we talk about that, and I think you'll really enjoy um, this conversation with Randy. He's such an encouraging man. Uh, I'm, I'm so thankful to have connected with him, and I think you'll really benefit from this particular episode. So enjoy it. Be blessed by it. Um, but before we get there, let's hear a word from the sponsor for this show, which of course is Fresh Roasted Coffee, and then we'll get right into it. Do you like coffee? I know that you do, and that's why I want to tell you about Fresh Roasted Coffee. Fresh Roasted is a locally owned and operated coffee house right here in central Pennsylvania that is committed to providing the highest quality coffee on earth. They do so by sourcing only the freshest coffee beans and by using the most eco-friendly roasting technology in the world. Fresh Roasted's USDA certified organic coffee beans ensure that your coffee is consistently regulated at each stage of the production process and completely free of GMOs and harmful synthetic substances. Fresh Roasted Coffee roasts their beans per order with immediate packaging and shipping directly to your door, meaning that you get to experience fresh coffee at its peak drinkability. That's what I like. 
I was introduced to fresh roasted coffee soon after moving to central Pennsylvania, and I'm so happy I was because I think it's literally the best coffee out there. Their Blackbeard's Revenge blend is out of this world good. Whether you use a regular drip coffee maker or a pour-over or a French press, however you get your coffee fix, make it fresh roasted. Go to the link in the notes for this show and use the offer code GRACE10 at checkout. That's offer code GRACE10 at checkout to get a discount on your next order. Well, uh, Randy, it's so good to have you on the show. Thank you for taking the time out to uh, hop on Ministry Minded. So, um, but let's just start right here. Uh, why don't you just kind of introduce yourself and introduce uh, where you are in your ministry and, and your family for anyone who might be listening who's not familiar uh, with you and where you are. Yeah, th- thanks, Brad. I, I'm laughing because uh, what you just outlined there could take me forever. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm, especially when you hit family. Um, but anyway, yeah, my name is Randy Greenwald. I'm um, originally from Ohio, uh, went to Michigan State University, and then was a junior high school teacher for a few years and went to seminary thinking God wanted me to be a missionary, uh, which didn't work out. And I ended up being a pastor of a Presbyterian Church in America church in um, Bradenton, Florida for just shy of 25 years and mm-hmm. uh, uh, and then uh, have since 2010 been a pastor in a, a similar church in Oviedo, Florida, which is northeast Orlando, um, the other side of Orlando from the mouse. And uh, <laughs> people come to Disney World thinking they can come pay me a visit and it's actually an hour away. <laughs> it's a pretty uh, long drive. <laughs> it's, a, it's a good distance. Um but, you know, I'm married, and, and Barb and I had six children, um, three uh, by the usual normal means and three through adoption. Um, hmm. And um, um, out of that um, uh, brood, there has come a bunch of, of grandchildren, and so we've been really blessed uh, with that. Um, so, yeah, um, I've been pastoring for since 1985 so do the math what is that now 38 years um yeah i think it's coming up on your yeah you're nearing 40 so that's yeah. uh, that's wonderful praise the lord <laughs> that's, a, that's a lot of years <laughs> it's a lot of years a lot of a lot of sermons a lot of sermons yeah a lot of tears too i i, I imagine yeah, there um, goes. <laughs> um what has been would you say one of the bigger areas of growth for you since you stepped into ministry? And maybe that's another loaded question, but, um, uh, yeah, that's a, that is a, that's a great question. And, you know, it has some challenging dimensions to it. And so hmm. you might need to corral me. Um, <laughs> no, I'm serious because I can, I, I, one of my elders once said, Randy, you can sure give a long answer to a short question. <laughs> um, and he was pretty accurate on that. But no, the the most significant area of growth for me was coming face to face with with God's grace. Um, mm-hmm. I I spent the first what fifteen years of my ministry thinking that I understood His grace, um, thinking that I really understood that He loved me no matter the my performance, um, and, and that I was accepted um, solely because of Jesus. And, you know, and, and so I knew that, what should I say, academically, I knew it mentally. And, 
And so I think I, I, you know, I think I did preach the gospel. I did preach grace uh, in many respects, but I, um, I didn't necessarily live it. I expected too much from my children. I expected too much from my congregation. Uh, I, but in, around 2000, there was just a, you know, God got hold of me, shook a lot of, shook my tree, so to speak, and all the loose dead branches came falling off, and I felt naked. And at that point realized, you know, everything else may fail, but Jesus still loves me. I'm still mm-hmm. a child of God. And it was such a radical um, moment in my life. You know, it's probably emotionally what some people uh, experience as conversion. It wasn't my conversion, but I grew up in a Christian home. I, I grew up you know, never knowing a time where I didn't trust Christ, really. But this was such a radical thing um, that it it really did change my view of myself, change my view of hmm. God, and ultimately, I believe, made me a better pastor, more gentle, more understanding, um, and more patient. So, you know, that's nothing I can prescribe to anyone else, but it was just an experience of really coming face-to-face with grace is probably the most substantive change that I could speak to um, in, in my ministry. Um, yeah. Hmm. Uh, and I think what you described there is something that I think everyone, like you said, you can't really prescribe it, but it's something that I think everyone has maybe perhaps felt or seen, or perhaps, or maybe in the middle of, um, perceptively, which is this idea of grace, God's grace going from the academic to the personal, or you could even say, I guess, the existential. Because I think sometimes, I mean, (laughs) maybe some seminarians are in in that same sort of mode. We have this doctrinaire, we could say, view on God's grace. And, but I think until we see it as this desperate thing that we need, and not even a thing, we could even say that this desperate person that we are needy of, I think that's yeah. We we won't ever preach, I think, with the same level of urgency or even the same level of care. And that's not to denigrate, you know, certain pastors, but I just think I know I've I've felt the same sort of transition even in my young ministry life is is this desperation for yeah. grace beyond anything that I can ever sort of in uh, you know uh, promote or proliferate in my sermons is that desperation that I think is most driving and most fundamental, I would say, to what makes for a sermon that hits home, if, if mm-hmm. I can say it that way. <laughs> sure. No, no, that I, 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 it's, you know, I think of, uh, you know, what, who um, was it? Uh, Dan Allender wrote the book, you know, Leading with a Limp. Hmm. I think it, you know, I think his, his metaphor of picking up on Jacob's experience of wrestling with God all night and, you know, the, the, the evidence of that being his his having a limp the rest of his life, there's a sense in which as we become better pastors, once we're broken, hmm. um, you know, it, it's, uh, and, and, you know, that breaking, it has to continue, you know, pride continues to seep in and I can begin to think I'm something. And when I think I'm something, I'm really not much good for anybody. <laughs> um, and it's, you know, it's, it's so when I'm depending on my own strength and depending on my own abilities and, I'm 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 not really going to be able to point people to to Jesus as as much as hmm. I should. And I think that goes against 
that, that almost goes against like the logical thought process, right? For what a pastor is and what a pastor should be. This idea that we have to continually be broken, or we could say continually have God break our legs, because you know, I, at least for me, I think we often think that this, there's this natural sort of ascending arc of spiritual growth that prescribes. <laughs> or should describe everyone's life. Right. And I don't think that that's often the case when it comes to reality, but I also don't think that that's what God had in mind anyways. Right. Um, I think, you know, the prayer in Luke 18 of the publican, I think, is the definitive prayer of the Christian mm-hmm. faith. And I think that oftentimes that's not seen. I don't know if maybe that's not the right word choice, but that's not often recognized, especially when it comes to the pastorate. Mm-hmm. Um you know, because how can a broken man be an example of this supposed, you know, successful right. Christian life, right? <laughs> yeah. Right, and you know, I think the, you know, I, I think it's, I think it's hugely important for our congregation to know that we're human. Um, we're walking, mm-hmm. we're walking a pilgrimage with them. Uh, yeah. We're not at the destination, summoning them to that destination. We're walking. With them, and maybe maybe we know the direction. Um, maybe we're a step ahead of some. Look, I look at people, some people in my congregation, and, and there's they're so much further down the road than I feel I'll ever be. You know, hmm. we are. You know, we are a, a we are pilgrims heading in the same direction, and um, I think that the the congregation I think trusts me better. I, I once, you know, once I hit this point. Um, and part of it were pieces of my family, um, not you know, pieces of my family, um, my, my kids, you know, rebelling and some other uh, things that weren't supposed to happen in the perfect pastor's home. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, but then when people began to see that brokenness, I think they trusted me more as a pastor because they saw me more mm. as a person. Sure. Um, and I, I th- I, so um, none of us want to go through any any of that kind of thing, but I think God does do it because broken people lead better. Hmm. Why do you think it is that pastors are sometimes viewed as, <laughs> like like you suggested, as not people? <laughs> uh, they're almost I, like identified with their offices more yeah. than anything else. <laughs> yeah, and I'd love to turn that question back around on you, but you asked <laughs> first. Because I'd love to know, I'd, I'd love to know what, what you think about that. I mean, I... Um, you know, I think we are. Why? Why do congregations want to think of us that way? I don't. I don't know. Is it? You know, have we? Have we so? Have we so codified the the uh, pastoral image as this? You know, combination of you know Sp- Spurgeon, Paul, and Jesus um, <laughs> that we're all supposed to measure up to that standard. Um, hmm. um, I, I, I don't know. Maybe we have. That's a great question. I'm I'm going to stutter around and not have an answer for it. Because <laughs> well, um, I, I, I don't. I, yeah, I, I'd, I'd love to know why. You know, I think in many respects we bring it on ourselves. I yeah, think I pastors, think, I think you're right. you know, put put we put ourselves in a position where we somehow feel like we have to be the perfect person. And I think that's what causes so many of us to crumble and fall. We have these abnormally high expectations that we feel are put on us mm-hmm. and and we you know and so we feel like we have to 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 meet that standard and um and we can't 
Um, yeah. and, and so we, we crumble under it. But uh, yeah, that's a great question. Well, I, I, I think you hit, I, I think the expectations is, I think, where it, the answer truly lies. And I think, and not to pick on, you know, any of our Roman Catholic friends, but I think there's this holdover in the pastorate that comes out of the priesthood, mm. which there's this idea almost that pastors are spiritual gurus or some sort of thing where the, we can, we have almost like mm -hmm. this, we could say Gnostic higher level of insight yeah. or intuition and people are coming to the sage, you know, to get this wise counsel, which in some senses, I guess, is true. We've been called by God to articulate a specific message to a specific time. and But I think there's like what you said, um, and I think others have articulated well, is just the idea of we are on the same pilgrimage that anyone else is. There's no sense in which a pastor, and I, I would be the first to admit this, <laughs> there's no sense in which I have figured out this Christian life in any way to where I would, you know, prop myself up as some sort of, you know, pseudo example for people to follow. Um, I, I I shudder when I read of Paul, you know, saying, follow me, and I get the context, <laughs> I get the wording, but I'm like, right. I would never write that <laughs> um, mm -hmm. for myself. And I, and I think there's like, there's this expectation now, and maybe it's, you know, some of it is Americanized. I don't know. I don't know if it all is, but there's this expectation of a lot being put on a pastor's shoulders that I don't know if that office was ever meant to um, carry the weight of. And um, we, we can get into that a little bit later if you want. But I, I just think that that level of expectation, you know, drives a pastor to want to seek uh, that efficiency, seek that applause, seek that mm. acclaim. And, you know, as I've read and, and, and studied and even experienced myself, that is ultimately self-defeating. <laughs> yeah. I, I wouldn't, um, you know, I think I want to give the benefit of the doubt to so many pastors who really aren't necessarily seeking applause or acclaim. Sure. They're just, they're, they're, they're trying their absolute best to be the pastor they think they need to be mm -hmm. and i i you know i i applaud that but i want to at some point take the pressure off yes um and and this is you know we can again it's we'll probably get to it but it's part of excuse me the, the motive for uh, my writing of great hearts table is to we we I want us to have high standards of godliness and faithfulness, but I I want us to also chill out a bit, <laughs> um, and and say we are we are just as much in need as our congregation of of God's grace to enable us to get to where we want to be, and the remarkable thing is that He takes those with all our imperfections and uses us. And, um, you know, he doesn't use us. He's not waiting to use us until we somehow achieve a certain perfect holiness. Um, you know, he, he uses us remarkably now as we are. Mm, and, uh, amen. so I, yeah. So, I mean, I, I, I want us to, I want us to have high standards, but also real, be realistic about those standards. Um, <laughs> and, and not, not feel like we are, um, somehow um, um, deficient in, you know, or 
or, or hateful, you know, hmm. um, if we've not yet achieved that level of perfection, what it does is it makes us hate ourselves. It makes us yeah. look at, you know, yes, I hate my sin, you know, and, and I, I repent of that. Um, but, you know, Jesus loves me. God loves me. You know, he knew me. He knew me before I was born. And I, mm-hmm. I need to revel in that. Uh, but I think a danger here, Brad, something I, I've been, you know, I've thought of for a long time is when we have those high expectations, we, we impute those high expectations to others and mm-hmm. most dangerously our children, um, mm-hmm. that we begin to place pressure on them to be perfect because we're the pastor. Um, and we don't allow them to uh, organically grow and mature. Um, and because we're more worried about what their behavior will, re- how it will reflect on the image we're trying to project. And mm-hmm. that, does, that does such severe damage to our children. 1,000%. And then we don't become shepherds at that point. We almost become overlords or despots yeah. if we're trying yeah. to say that this is the level that you have to get to. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think also in one of the things that I think has changed or – not changed, but maybe developed in me for a long time is just this, I think there's this faulty notion. Um, and I don't know where it comes from and I, I can't put my finger on it per se, but I at least feel it sometimes or have felt it in the past. It's, you know, this idea that there's levels of Christian growth, almost like, you know, you know, you get merit badges for sanctification points. (laughs) And I think that that notion is so common and maybe it's just you know we're human nature in our human nature we're driven by that sort of competitiveness but that competitiveness when it comes to spirituality and growth i think has maybe caused a lot more different expectations but also some of those ways in which we become the standard instead of pointing to the standard if that makes sense <laughs> yeah yep um so well let's just get right to what I really want to talk about, which is Greyheart's Table, a, a publication that you started a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. um, and I know you just actually put a, a post up today, kind of talking about that. But um, I, uh, I've really enjoyed reading these newsletters, uh, almost like these pastoral care newsletters in some <laughs> ways. And so, um, just kind of introduce what Greyheart is and what was the purpose behind it, and kind of what drove you to want to start writing on Substack. <laughs> huh. Well, I'm trying to get famous. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. That's not the right answer, is it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, oh, that's funny. Yeah, it was. Um, all right. So I have this weird obsession that I like to write. Um, hmm. My my happy place is very early in the morning when I get up and I sit with just me and a computer and thoughts. And hmm. so I love to write. Um, and... You know, it's also nice if I write to have people read them, read what I write. So um, I, you know, I look for outlets uh, where, um, you know, I have what I might write might be of interest to others. Um, And so it was, you know, it was back in, um, you know, 2021. Um, I, you know, the book I wrote had come out. So a lot of the work on that had been completed and, um, um, and, uh, and actually there was a, 
um, an, an individual that was encouraging me to do a podcast. And, you know, I don't think I could do what you do. I don't think I interview well. So, um, and that's the only image I had of a podcast. And yet I began thinking, okay, I've got, you know, 35 years of pastoral experience and I have a heart for, I think about at the same time, a friend of mine was just struggling in, in his ministry, um, um, and just you know, frustrated some of the pressure, some of the expectations and was contemplating, um, leaving ministry. Um, and all of those streams kind of flowed together to say, I, you know, I sat down one day and thought, you know, if I were to start a newsletter or, uh, and or podcast that was aimed at pastors, do I have anything to say? Um, <laughs> and, uh, but I run out of stuff to say after about, you know, three or four posts. And I just started writing down little sketches of the kinds of things that I'd want to say. And I got to about 50 or 70 ideas and thought, okay, maybe I do have some things that I want to say. And so, yeah, I consulted with some friends, um, you know, posed the idea to them. And so what, what evolved out of that was um, just a, uh, thrice monthly, um, 800 word, um, newsletter that's aimed. I, you know, I, I say it's aimed at pastors and those who love them, um, because it's not only for pastors, but for those who support pastors or encourage pastors or are pastored by pastors. Um, because I think, you know, part of what I hope is that congregations will think differently about what their pastors are doing as a result. But, um, um, yeah, my, my heart was just to encourage um, people in ministry. Um, and to, so that brought together my desire to write, my experience in ministry, um, and, um, um, and, and the need that I perceived. Um, I'm also, there are, there are points at which I'm something of a contrarian and am frustrated by some of the um, um, ideas about ministry that are popularized. And I'm just a little voice crying in the wilderness, but I want to say, no, not that, this. And this gives me an outlet for doing that. And especially, uh, this is a long answer. See, I told you I could do this. <laughs> um, but especially, I have a heart for the small church pastor. Um mm -hmm which is actually the norm. Uh, the pastor in the big church is the exception. Um, and most of us pastor smallish churches, and we look around and say, we are absolute failures because our churches are small. And rather, we should be saying, God has given me this flock of people to care for. Uh, I get to do this. And that is the, that's you know, one of the contrary notions that I'm trying to push, but I have a real heart for that. I think you know, small church pastors don't get enough credit for the, the, mm. the, the work they do and the contribution they make to the kingdom. That was a long yeah, answer. I'm, no, it's a great answer. Um, to touch on what you just spoke to, I, I'm part of a coalition of pastors in central PA who's have that same sort of driving motivation or is just <laughs> enjoying the small areas of ministry in which they've been put and placed mm -hmm. and remembering the fact that these places where we are are 
not misremembered, but they're chiefly known by our great Messiah and maker. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's a great thing to remember that, you know, we may not be on the radar, you know, of some such, you know, big evangelical blogosphere, but (laughs) we are in God's mind, uh, remembered by him, known by him. And I I think that's something that is so easily forgotten, Mm -hmm. especially when you're in the midst of the minutia and weariness of pastoral ministry. Um, But I think one of the things that I'm so encouraged by, especially through some of your writings, is just you are able to, I I, I know this is, you're speaking from experience in a lot of instances, which is not just anecdotal, but chiefly encouraging things that I don't think pastors take the time to think about, um, even for themselves, um, or if they don't think about, maybe they think about, but they don't put them into words. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, And I think there is this notion that, you know, kind of what we touched on before, that, you know, uh, one of the things that I've been impressed with with your writing is just, you know, pastors are human, mm-hmm. and there's a humanness that I think ought to be not just, we could say, embraced, but um, remembered and recognized, and there's a lot of grace that's there when mm-hmm. you realize your humanness, and we could say realize your dependence, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, chiefly on the Holy Spirit to yeah. do anything in ministry at all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and a, a piece of that that I I left out in my long explanation of Great Heart's Table is, you know, we're, this is a weird name. Where'd that come from? Um, but I've already said some things that touch upon it. The first is we're on a pilgrimage, and pastors are on that pilgrimage with their flock. And my paradigm there comes from um, um, Pilgrim's Progress, uh, part two, there's a character introduced who is Mr. Greatheart, and he's mm. been my paradigm for the pastor who walks with his flock, seeing them from you know, the city of destruction to the celestial city. And that's his job, and to protect them, to shepherd them, to speak into their lives, but he travels with them. So I've named the, the newsletter, which also appears as a podcast and an audio version, the same content. Um, I've called it Great Heart. I've named it after that model. The table part of it is um, very significant as well because uh, around a table people gather, and my intention is to draw pastors into community. You mentioned you have this coalition of central PA pastors. That's huge because so many pastors do not have anything like that. They don't have Mm -hmm. pastoral friends. Um, mm-hmm. They don't have those that can, um, you know, upbraid them when they're wrong and encourage them when they're down or just be there when they need somebody to talk to. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, you know, so the, the table, excuse me, the table side of it is intentional. I want, I want to drive pastors into some kind of pastoral community where they can feel safe to be who they are. I was thinking, though, that, you know, this, I, the notion of that table is, a really good one, only because it, it kind of reminds me of all those times where Jesus sat at table. You could say mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. with sinners and, and drunkards and gluttons and and whatnot. Right. And and it's almost that same invitation that comes to pastors, where mm-hmm. I think you you kind of hinted at like sitting at table allows us to let our guards down, so to speak. Sharing a meal with someone is a great yeah. way to get into those sorts of intimate conversations. And I think that's a great paradigm mm-hmm. to sort of understand Great Heart's Table from mm-hmm. a 
pastor coming alongside other pastors to, as you said, let them just be who they are um, mm-hmm. and confess their struggles, their their weightiness, their weariness in ways that I think is really profound. And I think that's really needed. And, and as you kind of hinted at, it's not often seen or not often done enough, I would say, in enough pastoral ministries. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and what I also want to encourage, I mean, I, 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 you know, I've got a friend and he has given me permission to sit down with him. He's a pastor and he's giving me permission to say, all right, who are you thinking of having adultery with, committing <laughs> adultery with? You know, do we have those kinds of people mm-hmm. in our lives who are going to ask us those kinds of questions? I think m- many pastors do not. Mm-hmm. And because they do not, where do they share their struggles and where do they have those conversations? Um, that the kinds of conversations that are desperately needed to steer them away from those vulnerable, uh, dangerous um, places. And I think, yeah, I think that's so true. And I think what you touched on and in, in that need for pastoral community, why do you, why in your experience would you say it is that pastors often find themselves more in, more often than not in isolation rather than in community with other brothers? Well, again, I can only make stabs at that. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I, there's going to be an element of pride. Um, mm. You know, there's going to be an element of fear. Um, you know, the... the, the um, I mean, I, I've been blessed. I had a, a friend in my um, earlier um, placement where he pastored a huge church, but he became my friend. We had, we had a, we're still friends. It didn't matter to him that he was hanging out with a guy that had a small church. Hmm. Um, he, he was not afflicted with that kind of pride that led him to make judgments about others based upon their level of professional success, so to speak. Hmm. Um, and um, so pride, I think fear, like I said, is, you know, it's who do we dare open up to um, <laughs> and, and, and say the things that are really on our hearts when we're, you know, um, sometimes we have to say what we're struggling with, whether it's a theological question or whether it's a moral question, we have to speak it to get it out on the table, even just to see how ridiculous it is. Um, <laughs> yeah. and, and we need people we can trust. Now, how do we develop that trust? We can't, I just can't pull somebody into my life, say, let's go have some coffee, uh, and then say, you know, I've been questioning this thing called the Trinity. You know, I, you know, <laughs> um, no, how do, those, those relationships have to develop over time where we sit down and mm-hmm. we talk about the weather and we talk about the sports and, you know, and we, we talk about, find areas of commonality and develop trust with for one another. Um, and, and those, those kinds of relationships need to be nurtured. So why do pastors, you know, we, we also are, uh, we, we, we feel like it's not important. Hmm. And, and so it's, if, if things that we deem not important, we don't build into our schedules. And the next thing you know, we're, we're starving for something. We don't even know what it is. I think uh, that's a great point. And I think also that kind of leads me to just ask you, what would you say is one of the, like the biggest things that's missing from the modern pastors' schedules or calendars, if you will? Yeah, you know, it's um, 
now that I just said what I just said, <laughs> perhaps <laughs> perhaps that's the the answer. Um, because it, you know, it's it's hard for me um, to know what the experience of other pastors might be. I can tell you what's so hard to keep into my calendar, and that's just a time just to sit down and read and feed myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll put, you know, it just it just falls off the calendar because there's so many other things that look more productive, um, <laughs> and yet I need it, and um, it's you know it feeds my ministry all the way around. But that's not true of everybody. And, um, you know, I, I, I think as I've written about, I think for many pastors, some kind of avocation is, is missing from their calendars. Something to do that has nothing to do with ministry, nothing to do with advancement, you know, but just I'm doing something I love to do. Hmm. You know, I, had, I had lunch with another pastor here last week and uh, he carves. Um, and you know, he loves to do it, but see, I think the value of that for him as a person and as a pastor is it's something he can do and then sit back and say, I did that. It's done. It's beautiful. And he can be happy with it and pleased with it in ministry. Nothing's ever done. Okay. (laughs) Nothing's ever, you know, come to anything close to perfection (laughs) and and it's it's wearisome and we need something Mm. that can just be that point, which I think sometimes if I just go out and clean my garage, I feel like, yes, I've, <laughs> I've succeeded in something. Um, so I think an avocation is, is often missing. Um, but you know, I, I really, that's a great question to ask around a table when you meet with your pastor friends is to say, what do you think's missing from your schedule? Hmm. Um, yeah. And I, I, it's going to be different for all of us. I, I would agree with that. And I think colloquially speaking, I, in my conversations, it's just been what you kind of touched on, but it's it's like maybe from a theological standpoint, we could say, I don't know if every pastor knows how to Sabbath well. Oh, absolutely. Um, oh, my goodness. Absolutely. And I don't, and I, I would put myself in that same, <laughs> that same bucket, you know? <laughs> no, no I'm, I'm ahead of you there. I'm, I'm, I'm in, the, I've been in that bucket a long time. <laughs> and I don't know what it is either. I've, I, you know, there's different patterns and rhythms, but it's, and, and maybe this kind of touches on, well, I'll, I'll ask you this too, and it's kind of, I guess, a loaded, but con- in conjunction question, because one of the things that you write about, or you have written about mm-hmm. on a great hearts table that I have found so much just, I guess, relief in is this notion of quote unquote, pastoral efficiency and how that's somewhat of a negative concept, this idea that all the things that we're doing have to be efficient things. Um, can you just kind of elaborate on that and why that and how that can kind of play into, you know, avocation or, you know, right. a pastor Sabbathing better, if you will? Yeah, I think you're, you're, you're brilliant in pulling all those things together because um, I think now this may be a generational thing for me. I'm 66. Um um, you know, tail end of the baby boomer, um, generation, I, I, productivity, you know, self-worth and productivity dovetail in my, uh, mental, uh, territory. Um, it's hard for me just to grab a novel, go sit on the back porch and just sit and read. Uh, harder still would be just to go sit on the back porch hmm. and do nothing. 
Hmm. I'm doing nothing. Maybe, maybe what's missing from my calendar is just slots for doing nothing. Um, you know, Sabbath means setting aside the God of productivity. Hmm. Um, right. I mean, you know, we're, you know, the Sabbath was to you know, no longer try to produce that which God provides. And um, especially for people like me, who we ju- I judge my, you know, my acceptance before God by how much I'm able to churn out and to do. So, um, yeah. So the efficiency side of it. So you know, I have you know, you mentioned the Sabbath, the and you know, the productivity and Sabbath are related. Um, but you know, efficiency is, um, it is a, it's a, it's an, it's an American idol. Hmm. Um, and the reason I say that I, I wrote about this, you're probably alluding to it in some level that, um, you know, I, I wrote a post on the, um, inefficiency of God. <laughs> and, uh, now, you know, I don't want to take the time to explain what I meant by that, but what's fascinating to me is if I say inefficiency of God, as Americans, we think we're saying something heretical or blasphemous. Um, <laughs> yeah. why? Because, you know, godliness and efficiency are equated in our minds. Um, pastoral ministry's not efficient. <laughs> um, and when we begin to try to look at it in efficient, in terms of efficiency, uh, boy, what does that mean? We're told to invest our time in the future leaders of the church. Well, does that mean ignoring the future non-leaders? Does that mean ignoring the people that are um, just, you know, have never had uh, somebody of any spiritual maturity invest in them. Um, you know, I, I just, I shudder at those kinds of things. Um, now, yes, we're human. Again, we have limits. Um, but, um, uh, yeah, my, I, I think, I, you know, I, I I, I run a very inefficient ministry. I'll, I'll spend lots of time in coffee shops just listening to people. Um, <laughs> that doesn't necessarily generate more income. Uh, it doesn't necessarily generate more evangelism. It doesn't necessarily generate you know, anything that's measurable. But I think it's what I'm supposed to do. Thousand percent, I would concur, and I it, that notion of this idea that the inefficiency of God, it or at least in our our viewpoint of it, right? Right, like you, right. I think in one of those articles, and I, I I have them linked, and they'll be linked in the show notes. But I think one of them you talk about just you know how Moses spent forty years um, <laughs> in the wilderness, like that doesn't seem very efficient, right? Um, or yesterday, you know, yes, you, yeah, yesterday at uh, in our Sunday school class, somebody was mentioning Robert Murray McShane, you know, brilliant guy, and died when he was 21. And it's a, <laughs> yeah. you know, that's the kind of thing, God, that's not very efficient. Look what you could have done with him. <laughs> exactly. And, it, and, and it, it reminds me, though, because I love how you encapsulate that with, we aren't the ones who are called to be, quote unquote, efficient, because only God is the one who can waste mm-hmm. nothing and does waste nothing. Right. Um, and uses all things, even the things that we would deem inefficient, or um, right. we would deem, um, you know, something we would rather avoid. Those are the things that he employs and uses for 
our good, our growth, his glory, conforming us to the image of his son. Those are the things that we don't have really a lot of control over, even mm-hmm. if, even though we are just, maybe it's, we're hardwired. I don't know what it is, but we, like you say, we worship efficiency with mm-hmm. this almost inane sense of we are the ones that are called to cross every T and dot every I. Now, you also have to understand that I write these things to try to remind myself of my mm-hmm. faults. <laughs> I write these things to myself. I mean, I can hear Barb, my wife, just laughing because I'm the guy who, if I'm on one side of the kitchen and I have to go to the other side of the kitchen, I look around to see if there's anything that needs transport from one side of the kitchen to the other side because I'm (laughs) heading that way anyway. You know, I don't want to waste steps. Um, So, uh, yeah, I mean, I I have my own obsessive problems with efficiency. Um, But, yeah, it's so important to remember that, you know, uh, yeah, it, it's our our, our our understanding of the sovereignty of God makes it a beautiful thing that we can, Amen. Um, you know, and and you know, you mentioned earlier. I, I think um, I don't know about your world, but in my world, we 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 don't spend enough time just acknowledging the leading and guidance of the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. um, and um, how you know, I think the Holy Spirit doesn't necessarily lead us always in our very highly tightly executed plans. <laughs> um, you know, he may want us to do something outside of those plans. Correct. And, you know, another aspect of the efficiency thing um, um, is I think people are hungry, desperate for attention. Mm-hmm. Um, they just need to know they're listened to, that they can be heard. Um, and, you know, we have, you know, all we, you know, we can give them that. Um or we can facilitate it happening, you know, building a culture of a church where people are willing just to spend time listening to each other. Yes. Yeah, and I think that's very well needed, but I think that it just speaks to the, you know, the Isaiah 55 level of God's ways aren't our ways, Hmm. because he often works in inefficient ways, at least, again, from our perspective. And I think... Like, like we just went through the chief example of that, right? Where the whole world stopped. <laughs> right. Um, what a what an inefficient year, seemingly, for the kingdom of God to expand. And yet, I I mean, I certainly can't touch on it yet, but I know that, and I believe that, and I confess that even that wasn't a wasted year, right. in terms of God's. Um, working all things out for his glory. Um, right. How that looks like and, and what that means, I don't know if I have the answer to that. I don't know if anyone does per se, but um, I'd certainly believe it, even if I don't understand right. it fully. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. And I think what's interesting too, these notions of pastoral efficiency and rest and Sabbathing, it, uh, actually, I just preached on Hebrews 3 and 4, where the notion of entering God's rest comes up quite often in those two chapters. And it was just, it struck me as I was preparing for that sermon, Hebrews 4.11, where the writer says, let us strive to enter mm. into that rest, which seems mm. like, an, like a paradox, mm-hmm. um, striving to rest. And, you know, maybe he's speaking of that theologically in sort of the salvific sense, but I think in just the practical terms, it speaks to us right where we are too, because we aren't often restful people. At least we could say we aren't Sabbathing people, let alone Sabbathing pastors. And I think there is a level of you have to carve it out. You have to actually work to not rest because we would rather just be 
productive in every, right. or at least have the notion of our own productivity, so to speak. And right. that was just a great reminder. It's been a great reminder to me um, that I can quote unquote waste time doing something, you know, on a day in which nothing is seemingly done in, you know, in the productive sense of the word, but I can waste time because, you know, God is the only one who wastes nothing. And uh, there, there can, I think, now that I'm thinking about it off the top of my head, I'm, I'm mm-hmm. thinking about how that relates to Ecclesiastes and how Solomon, or the preacher, whoever you think the preacher was, um, in that book articulates quite well <laughs> that idea, hey, go out and drink and eat with your friends. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I think it's that notion of, mm-hmm. you know, you can waste your life trying to earn fulfillment through Avenue A through through Z, or you can waste your life knowing that, you know, your fulfillment is in God. And I think there's a that, that, that's a purposeful way of saying that because those times of dining, <laughs> sitting at table, mm-hmm. um, they're not wasted okay. in, in the in the long run, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Yep, yeah, I agree. Um, well, that kind of brings me to the other big topic that you write about with some level of frequency, and I, I think it... it not perhaps just you, but I know a lot of people are talking about this, which is this idea of pastoral burnout. And I think you interacted with that Barna report last year, which, <laughs> you know, sort of reported that, you know, 42% of pastors were uh, thinking of quitting um, from their pastorates or whatever. Um, can you just speak to that and how that relates and just any of your experiences? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm laughing because I look at those statistics and I say, well, if 42 or 37 or whatever it was, a percent of pastors are saying they're thinking about quitting, that means 63 or 58 percent of pastors are lying. <laughs> yes, that's um, probably true. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, how how I don't know about you, Brad, but I mean, my experience and the pastors I talk to, we get to days of frustration and we just want out. Um, hmm. You know, God, is there something else? Maybe I really do need to become that uh, engineer or this or that or the other. Um, <laughs> you know, I that's why I just look at those statistics and say, you know, I, I don't know what it means. I don't think it means, you know, Princess Bride. They keep using that number. I don't think it means what they think it means. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, it's, uh, I, I think pastoral ministry, and this is the thing I'm trying to, that, I, that I've tried to, the, the drum I've tried to beat, is pastoral ministry was never easy. It was never meant to be easy. Hmm. It's always hard. It can always be frustrating. It, the temptation to quit is always going to be there, not the, for many reasons, not the least of which is that we have a target on our back from an enemy that would want nothing better than to have us out. Mm-hmm. And um, yes, no question, COVID added extra stressors, the political dynamics of churches, uh, race issues, um, you know, the, the, the mask wearing question, the all, you know, the vaccinations, um, things that we all faced just added an extra layer of, of difficulty. But I don't know, you know, the, the, the Christianity Today article uh, cover story that I interacted with a bit, uh, I read the article a couple of times, and, and I just found the author using statistics, contrary statistics, to statistics that conflicted with each other as to whether mm-hmm. this was a statistically significant departure of ministers 
from their posts. And I, yeah. I think in the long term, I don't think it was there's been a statistically significant um, blip, but I may be wrong on that. But um, I, I just think it's always been hard. And so, um, I, you know, we we are we are we are news hounds. We're hungry for the spectacular and um, the heightened tension that COVID brought to pastoral ministry, which led uh, you know numbers of people to leave. Um, I get that, but I don't think I don't. I you know I. It's always been hard, and it's it's you know, and this is just an added dimension to it. Um, the practices that are necessary to persevere through periods of hardship, um, you know, that's what I've tried to, that's the, the other drum I've tried to, to beat, you know, one of it was avocation. One of it was Sabbath. You've mentioned on several of them already. So, but I want to add to that. I also, you know, there, there are guys that have left ministry, um, and I am, do not stand as a judge over them. Um, mm. I mean, I there there are times where things have been so difficult that I genuinely would have loved to have turned my back on ministry and never looked back. And uh, um, and sometimes uh, people are in you know pastoral positions where the churches are so toxic. Um, and who wants wants escaping that? Who wants to go back into anything <laughs> like it? Um, so I, I am, I am, I do not want to be, I want to encourage those who have left ministry, um, and not to add guilt to their struggle. Hmm. Yes. And what you said, it may have been, you know, a quip, but I think it's true that, idea that, you know, the other ones were lying probably when they respond to that survey. And I think it's, it's quite true because I think if, at least in my experience, the, if you haven't thought about quitting at some point, then yeah. I'm not sure where you are in ministry yet. And, and maybe that's too strong of a wording. Well, I, know, but... I, you know, and I think, I, I think as ministers, we need to sometimes get over ourselves. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. No, I'm, I'm, I'm serious. I, what teacher hasn't thought of quitting? You know, what, um, what army general hasn't thought of quitting? I, you know, I think, hmm. uh, you know, I, in, in Genesis three tells us that making our living is going to be hard and it's going to be full of weeds and problems. Um, and so I, I just, I don't get the sort of panic that, um, this, this, um, these, you know, tossing, banting about statistics has been intended to, to raise. Well, I think your point too, about how it's always been hard. It, it reminds me of, you know, back in, again, numbers in Exodus, where Moses is feeling burned out from judging all the people. And we could say mm -hmm. pastoring all the people right. and he just couldn't do it all. And so they had to set up, you know, we could say in a way sub, we could say ex, ex uh, um, um, administrative pastors, so to speak, if you will. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's what they were essentially setting up in a way to help minister to the people in ways that he couldn't on his own shoulders. And I think that, it, which is just to say, the the needs of the ministry have always been great and too much for any one person, which yeah. kind of brings me back to efficiency and burnout and resting. Um, it, it reminds me of a great book, which I think is 
at least for me, in need of a reread, which is Zach Eswine's The Imperfect <laughs> Pastor. Absolutely. In which he articulates yeah. so well the idea that, you know, you aren't called, you can't be, but you aren't called to be even the Holy Spirit for your yeah. people. Um, yeah. That is so far and above and beyond anyone's capabilities. And I think sometimes we forget that. And um, yeah, maybe pastors just get over themselves. <laughs> yeah. But I, I would I would second that recommendation to read The Imperfect Pastor. It's um, very helpful. Yeah, that one was one of the most helpful books I've read in a long while, um, because similar to Greatheart's Table, it talks and articulates um, so well some of the needs of a pastor and in, in, in things that perhaps we don't often articulate enough. Um, mm -hmm. Well, that kind of leads me to ask me, uh, tell me about your book. I think it released two years ago, <laughs> Something Worth Living For. Can you talk about that? And yeah, you can sure. feel free, give, give a give a shameless plug for it. <laughs> uh, yeah, shameless. I don't know if that's possible. Um, <laughs> you know, I think shameful. Um, but uh, no, Something Worth Living For, um, for I am, yes, I'm, I'm, Presbyterian, um, but I am, so my, my roots go back to the Westminster Assembly, and um, but I find the shorter catechism of the Westminster Assembly to be this um, both beautifully written and comprehensive statement of historic Christianity. Hmm. Um, not, you know, yes, from a Reformed um, uh, stream, but in most respects, just a general mere Christianity type presentation, but also comprehensive in dealing not just with um, your, you know, you, you, God, you know, God is great, you're a sinner, Jesus saved you, believe in him. Um, but from the nature of God all the way to the nature of prayer, um, it's a, a beautiful statement of historic Christianity. So it was born out of meeting with a college student. Uh, who wanted to grow in his understanding of Christianity, but we couldn't find a decent resource that we could read together that might help him progress along those lines. And for years, I'd wanted somebody to write a, um, a more contemporary, um, what should I say, guide to the Westminster Shorter Catechism. And so those streams came together. I couldn't get others to write it, so I wrote it myself. So it is, it is in, on the one hand, it walks the readers through the, um, the, the statements of the Westminster Shorter Catechism, but its, its goal is to give somebody who may be totally unfamiliar with Christianity altogether a clear articulation of what it means to be a Christian and to live as a Christian. Um, so that was that was my goal, and it came out in 2020, uh, published by Christian Focus in Scotland. And um, um, yeah, and I was honored to have Jerem Bars, if that name means anything to you, write the foreword for it, which was a, a very uh, special thing for me. So. Awesome. Praise the Lord. I'm, um, if anyone's listening that wants to pick it up, I've linked that in the notes, so go pick up a copy of that for yourself. Um, as we wrap up here, Randy, I just one. This is sort of like maybe you've already answered it before, but all or we've touched on it in some way. But one of the main goals that I have behind talking and interviewing and just even writing is just 
thinking about how and where I was as a younger pastor. And so hmm. what's one thing that you like, you know, it's that like cliched question. Sure. What would you tell your younger self? <laughs> uh, you know, and that often probably depends on the mood that I might be in at any given time. Um, yeah. And I, you know, I, I think about that and I think I'm the kind of guy that probably wouldn't have listened to myself. Um, <laughs> I mean, what I've, you know, I've had to learn things by breaking them and, mm. and that's, you know, that's hard. Um, you know, I think the thing that would have been most important and, and it, you know, again, goes back to the family question, um, to, you know, I, I, if, if I could go back and tell myself, look, Randy, you are making decisions for your children based upon what looks best for you, not what is necessarily best for them. Stop it. Make decisions mm-hmm. that are best for them, regardless of how it looks for you. you might, you know, your calling, Randy, is to shepherd these kids into adulthood, uh, not to polish them and put them in your crown. And um, I, you know, I don't know if I would have listened to myself, but I made a lot of parental mistakes, and my kids know that, and I've gone to all of them and asked their forgiveness. Um, and uh, so that's that always comes to mind. Um, but I think, uh, you know, something else is uh, if I were brand new and I could go back, I would hand myself C.S. Lewis's essay on the inner ring and mm-hmm. and, um, and and tell myself, read this, take it to heart and pay attention that you only pay you know, to, to the lessons that Lewis com- conveys there. I don't know, Brad, if you've read it or not, if you haven't. Yes. Get yes, it. I have. Um, <laughs> you know, but I think part of our pastoral drivenness has to do with trying to find acceptance in certain circles, and those circles may change, and they're different for everyone. But um, those th- those kinds of drives can eat us up and and destroy us. Mm. So that'd be the, that's a, s- a second thing. That com- but I can think of a lot of things, but I don't know if I would have <laughs> listened. <laughs> I, yeah, you, you're probably right in articulating it that way. And I think finding our rest in the rest of God, that idea of striving to enter that rest is something that I think is so yeah. palpable and needed and needful, I would say. Even yeah, myself, I'm needful of that all the time. And I think being more, I guess I would say, committed to actually making that so. And like you said, instead of making decisions for myself, making it, um, there's, I guess everyone would have decisions they would rather do over again, but uh, it's always this idea of realizing that, you know, God's the one who doesn't waste anything. So you can rest in that efficiency of his righteousness. Yeah, that's great. Well, thanks, Randy. This has been great. Thank you so much for uh, taking the time and uh, hopefully we can do it again. And uh, if there's anything else you want to, plug as we close here just do so <laughs> no you you've you've done well in plugging plugging my own stuff so i'm grateful uh, for the opportunity to talk and appreciate getting to know you thanks so much for listening i hope you were blessed encouraged and enriched in your faith 
by this conversation with Randy Greenwald. If you haven't yet, go over to Great Hearts Table. All the links that you would need to find that are in the notes to this particular show. Go find those links. Go to them. Subscribe to his newsletter and be encouraged by his writing. I know, I know that you will. Uh, thanks so much for listening, though. Thanks for subscribing. If you haven't yet, subscribe to Ministry Minded wherever you get your podcasts. I appreciate all of you, all your support, your encouragement, your comments, your prayers. Um, but until the next episode, I will see you then. Blessings.